Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. through our series of Journey to the Cross in this Lenten season. And I want you to hear carefully as we read the text that the closer we get to the cross, the more intense the stories become. The deeper the stories become. And so this is our heart's way of preparing ourselves. Yep. I don't know why. I have this on. And you have that on. Now we're better. You want it better than my mom's? I can swallow it. Would that help? But the, the closer we get to the cross, the closer we get to Easter, the more we need to pause and really gain the depth that Jesus loves us so much that He would go to the cross in such a painful way so that we could be right with God. And so as you hear the word this morning, I want you to think of that word journey. And in a moment's time we will see a couple of paths. And we'll talk about those paths. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Now the tax collectors, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home, then he calls his friends and his neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who did not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one Sinner who repents. Now, Father, I pray for the divine assistance of your Holy Spirit as your word comes before us. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, feet and hands that are quick to do, and we'll give you the praise for these things in Jesus' name. Every church, this one included, and I'm glad that I've been able to meet with many of you these past weeks. 
And if you not have signed up yet for the Getting to Know You interview, I shamelessly give you an announcement right now. Do that. I look forward to meeting with everyone who calls Minutrist in their home church. But every church, every biblical New Testament church involves beginning a journey. So i got a couple of slides here about our journey. Now I don't know what goes through your heart when you see a trail or a road like this, but for me, it is like adrenaline. It's like there is a path to go someplace. And next slide. We'll take the next slide. And that is a proven path. It gets to a proven destination. And it has a proven result with that path. And I see a path and a trail like that, and I get a little excited. And that's what this whole idea about a journey is. It leads to a proven destination, a proven result. And so the cross is never outdated. It always comes to fruition. So we are on a journey. Every true follower of Christ has citizenship in heaven. And for a season, we have an adopted citizenship down below. It is only natural when you're a foreigner to look in your new country for a community of others who are from the same country that you are from. And so this is the story of Minitrista. It's the story of every ethnic community. We always feel at home when others share our same feelings, language, foods, and cultures. That's the way we are wired. And this is the story of forming a Christian community, encountering the risen Savior, experiencing conversion, experiencing baptism, experiencing a changed life, experiencing what it is to be in a grace-filled community, experiencing what it is to have sins forgiven, and then in turn to be forgiving and kind and loving and accepting and sweet to others. Encountering the risen Savior is about transformation. It's about reaching a destiny that is glorious and is beautiful. It's about being on a mission. So all of this is possible because Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Colossians 3, Colossians 1.13. And so Luke tells the story of Jesus from three perspectives. One is preparation. So Jesus was prepared in heaven for a mission down here below. And in that preparation, in all of time and eternity, God knew that you and I would need a Savior. God knew that there would become a time that none of us could meet God's holy requirements of righteousness. None of us would ever be able to keep the law. And so when we come to the to conclusion of the Old Testament, the last narrative of the conclusion of the Old Testament is the book of Nehemiah. And there Nehemiah had tried to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. There Nehemiah tried to institute the law again. And there again God's people went wayward. And they began to intermarry other people. 
And in that intermarriage, Nehemiah became very upset. And at the end of the book of Nehemiah, at the end of the Old Testament, Nehemiah is cursing people, he is hitting people, and he's grabbing their beards, and he's saying, Obey the law. And none of them can do it. And that's the conclusion of the Old Testament. And then we have 400 years of silence. But God had a plan. And His plan was to send His Son. And it was a plan of preparation. So for three and a half years now, Jesus had a public ministry preparing His disciples to accept the mission of taking good news to the world. Luke 6 lays out the core values of His kingdom. The Beatitudes. And Jesus said, Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness' sake, for you will be filled. There's no, there's no disappointments, really, in the kingdom of God. There might be some setbacks. There might be some misunderstandings. There might be some adversities. But when we receive Christ in our life, and we're celebrating for all eternity in heaven, there will be no disappointments for who He is. Luke 9-19 through 19 tells us about Jesus' final days, about His journey to the cross, about resistance to His kingdom from religious people, about what life will look like when He leaves, about multiplying disciples to carry out His mission. This should be of great interest to every church in America today. In Luke 9, Jesus sends out the twelve disciples to proclaim the world and the reign of Messiah has come. Luke 10, he sends out 70 others also and he says, The harvest is plentiful. Pray! Pray ye therefore to the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors in his heart. We talked about that last week. In 11, we see the multiplication of disciples through prayer. Luke 11 through 14 describes an increasing resistance to his ministry. Woe to the Pharisees, those who were external in their religion, those who focused on external things, those who wanted to have laws upheld, rules obeyed. And Jesus said to them, Woe! Woe to careless, wealthy people! Don't worry, he says. Be ready to repent. And then he tells us, count the cost of being his follower. And then Luke 15, the passage we have read this morning, is Jesus teaching his disciples about multiplying disciples. His teaching is concerning with people and how to give them good news. The glad tidings, the euangelion. U means good, and angelias is where we get the word message, or messenger, where we get evangelical from. And it's the good news. And he wanted to teach his disciples how to bring good news to other people. He doesn't give a quick technique. He doesn't give a quick prayer that we can say. But he knows exactly what we need, and he knows exactly where we are. And in, in that day when Jesus taught this passage, he knew exactly where his detractors
detractors were. So he says to them, in verse 15, one day, man had, uh, verse 15, verse 1, he says, now all the tax collectors were gathering around him. I don't know how you feel about people who take advantage of other people. You may have heard the story of this man, his name was Markopoulos. And he wrote a book, and he says, no one would listen. And this man was an analyst. He was astute in mathematics. He was a financial analyst. And his employer came to him, and he said to him, I want you to figure out how we can get the same results that Bernie Madoff is getting in his investments. And so this man sat down five days, he crunched numbers. And he came back to his employer and he said he is running a Ponzi scheme. This was years before Bernie Madoff was exposed. Bernie Madoff, who sold his own religious community, his own faith community, his Jewish community, he took advantage of these people who trusted them with their life savings. And in the end he goes to prison after manipulating people out of billions of dollars. I don't know how you feel about a person like Bernie Madoff. But this man, he went to the Security Exchange Commission, he says, this man is a fraud. And they said, oh no. He's very well respected. He would never do anything like that. And for five times, over five years, he warned the Security Exchange Commission that Bernie Madoff was taking advantage of good people. And when he wrote his book, when he was writing his book, he said he had to sleep in his bed with a gun because Bernie Madoff people did not want to be exposed. And they threatened him. And they told him, your life is on the line. Now, those are the kinds of people that were coming to Jesus, the Bernie Madoffs, the tax collectors. These tax collectors of Jesus' day were not friends of the community. They were very broken people. And they were bidding on certain jurisdictions. And they would tell the Roman governor as a traitor, we will collect X number of denarii. And, and whatever they collected, they would over-collect. At the expense of their own fellow citizens, they would over-collect. And they would take advantage of the very because of the Roman rule that was there. And these kinds of people are broken people. And they were coming to Jesus because Jesus loves broken people. And as they were coming, verse 1 says, all tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear from him. They were not drawing near to him for bread, or healing, or deliverance, or debate. They were drawing near to him to hear from him. Just like you, this morning, to hear from him. There was something attractive about what Jesus was saying. Whatever he was saying about the kingdom of God and the love of God, whatever he was saying, 
touched their hearts. And they were listening. These broken people, these Bernie Madoff type people, were listening to him. And the other people who were listening to him were murmuring. It's an imperfect tense. It's not just like one time they said it, but it was again and again and again. These detractors kept gnawing and gnawing and gnawing at Jesus. But Jesus was different. He loved even them. He saw them as broken people in need of a Savior. He saw them in need of forgiveness, in need of a new life. Sinners were attracted to him. They too had messed up. They had missed the mark with themselves and with their family and with God. And somehow, out of this compelling love, they were drawn to him. And Jesus not only loved them, he welcomed them and he ate with them. And he told them things that they had never heard before. You would think, what fault could anyone find with this kind of love? And specifically, what fault could anyone ever find with Jesus? Notice verse 2. People are people. Neogandizo. That murmuring, murmuring, murmuring. You know what the number one reason young people do not go into the ministry today? It's because of the contrariness of congregations. They would rather start a church than go to an existing church. And those kinds of people were the ones that were around Jesus, those Pharisees. Even someone who loves broken people has detractors. In fact, everyone and anyone who stands up for the kingdom of God, righteousness and truth, is going to have detractors. These detractors will grumble and complain continuously until they either destroy or marginalize that person. For the Pharisees, their goal was to silence Jesus. Rather than being silenced, Jesus tells them a parable about the lost. So before we leave Jesus' love for tax collectors and Bernie Madoffs and sinners, there's another group of broken people in recent history that were brutalized. This was a group of investors that took advantage of the subprime uh, mortgages that were bundled up and packaged. And another man saw what was happening, that these banks were loaning money to people who could not afford to pay it back, and then they were putting them in instruments and selling them in the bond market, knowing well that those people who borrowed that money could not pay it back, and yet they sold them as instruments of credible investments. And there's a group of people on Wall Street, greedy people, manipulative people, hateful people, who knew what 
was happening. And they convinced an insurance company, AIG Insurance, to insure these worthless bonds. And then they bought the insurance policies knowing that those instruments were going to fail. And one man figured it out. This is the man, he was by training a medical doctor. And then he developed cancer in his left eye. And then he had Asperger's disease, which made him really nervous around other people. And he couldn't keep up his medical practice. So he left medicine, and he began to inquire about the investment community. And he exposed, he went to the, to, to the bond market regulators, regulators, and he told them what was happening. And they wouldn't listen to him. So he bought insurance policies on these bonds. And he made over $700 million. Now, I think a million probably is more than any of us will ever need. <laughs> Maybe none of us needs a million dollars. But this goes to just tell you the depth of greed and distortion and meanness that people can have towards their fellow man. They are broken people. And they need the gospel. They need the love of Jesus. They need the forgiveness of Jesus. They need the mercy of Jesus. And we are just like them. We are broken people. And so Jesus tells about lost people. He tells a story about a man having a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off into the wilderness, down one of those trails. And he goes after them. Without some kind of intervention, this lone sheep will be destroyed in its lostness. And being isolated from the community is a very dangerous thing. Within, with isolation, there is danger. And this plan says that categories do not matter. The category of being lost. We are in the era right now where you're being judgmental if you say that this person is lost. This person is in the wrong. So for some today, there are no categories that see people as lost or found, saved or unsaved, sinner or saint. Even today, we're in an era where there's no category for male or I want you to remember that all of learning has categories. There are categories for wisdom and for understanding. There are categories for managing complexities and managing through categories. A library 
is a collection of categories. The eight parts of speech are categories that make language intelligible. Medicine has its disciplines and categories so the complexities of disease and illness can be cured and understood. Law is practicing categories. There's civil law and there's criminal law. And if we're truly going to multiply disciples as a church, as a missional community, the category of lost and found as taught by Jesus is essential. The shepherd in this story, once finding the lost sheep, puts it on his shoulder, starts rejoicing, and restores the lost to the fold. Now, I haven't ever been around sheep very often, but I understand they're pretty smelly, and especially if they haven't been shorn. Um, and to take a smelly sheep and put it on your shoulder and to walk it back to the fold is really an expression of deep love, deep dedication, and deep commitment to showering afterwards. We are all smelly people. We're all somewhat not the favorite. But God sees us as valued and loved, in need of finding, in need of restoration, in need of a savior, of a good shepherd. What if the shepherd didn't believe that it was really possible for sheep to be lost? This is why many churches in America today are declining. They don't believe in the category of lost and found, or saved, or unsaved. Or even we have churches today who do not believe in male and female. And because of this, they do not have a biblical mission. They don't have a biblical community. They don't really have a New Testament church. What is the purpose of this story? Verse 7 tells us, Jesus said, I tell you the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who need no repentance. This is also the purpose of the parable about the lost coin, verse 10. There is joy in the presence of angels of God over one, just one sinner who repents. And that one might be you, might be me. And over one person who yields her life to Christ, it sets off a chorus, a choir in heaven of rejoicing. Finally, Jesus loves foolish people. Uh, there's not enough time for me to unpack the story that we know as the prodigal son. In Jesus' day, there was a similar story that the Pharisees knew and told. It was identical to what this story is about. A young man goes to his father, and in effect says to his father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. I'm leaving. That story was familiar among the Pharisees that were listening to Jesus, that were murmuring at Jesus. And in that story of their literature, the young man, when he comes home, 
The Father does not go out to receive Him. He has dishonored the Father. He has broken the rules. He is no longer to be a member of the community. That's the Pharisees' version of that story. But in this story, I, I would rather title it, not the prodigal son, but the father who ran. Because when the son comes home from the far country, when the son, after he has that epiphany, in that pig pen, and he says to himself, I'm no longer worthy to be the son of my father. I will go home and ask him to make me a servant. And the scripture says, in 1517, he came to himself and he said, he had this honest, clarifying conversation inside of himself. And he says, I know what I'm going to do. And the father runs out to meet him. It was very foolish for this young man ever to wish his own earthly father dead. By taking his inheritance early, the younger son was wishing that his family would just disappear. His father and his elder brother, the farming operation, he just didn't want any part of it. The point of this parable is that even foolish people need to be valued and loved and shown a better way. All too often we miss the impact. We've been conditioned to think of this story about a wayward son. The climax of the story is the picture of God the Father gracefully running out to restore his wayward son to the family. In that culture, it was unseemly for a grown man to take up his, his skirt and run. But this was his son who was coming home. All too often, we don't celebrate the pig pen. We're quick to say somebody was foolish for what they did. But it was in that pig pen that he came to himself. He had an honest conversation with himself. He looked at the husks that were around him, the pods. These little pods were like huckleberries. And when you eat those huckleberries, they stain your mouth. Everybody knows when you eat a huckleberry, you've been eating huckleberries. And this man was eating those kinds of things. And that's what sin does to us. It stains us. It makes us unsightly. And yet this man, this young man, he came to himself and he returned to his father and his father put the ring on him, put the robe on him, put the sandals on him, gave him a festive dinner, celebration. My son who is dead is alive. He came to himself. He had a moment of clarity. And by the grace of God, this is the best part. By the grace of God, his foolishness was over. I know. This is
is why as a church we are to be missional. There are broken people, there are lost people, there's foolish people who need what you have, need what we have, so they can come to know a God who loves us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know that as you journey to the cross and your detractors became louder and stronger and in the end violent, you did it, Lord, because you loved the Bernie Madoffs of this world and you have loved those who have been lost doing foolish things and you've loved foolish people doing lost things. And I pray, Lord, that there will be some kind of awakening among us. That, Lord, we could see the foolish, we could see the broken, we could see the lost gathered in to know you, to follow you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching our differences aside, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you. To that end, guide us, Lord, I pray.